my name is Spencer Shrum. Uh, my trail name uh, was Slow Ride, and I did a southbound AT through hike last year, uh, 2018, and that's uh, probably the biggest outdoorsy thing that I've done. But in the past, like I've done whitewater rafting and kayaking and stuff like that just for fun. Cool, cool. That's perfect. What was your life like before you left for the AT? Yeah. Um, well, so the AT is like something that I've kind of always wanted to do. Like I remember when I was in college and getting ready to graduate, I didn't know what what I wanted to do after college. And uh, there's a guy that was in my fraternity who's like a decade older than me. He actually used to own the hiker hostel in Dahlonega. Oh. So, so we'd go have like, he'd let us use the hostel for like fraternity events and stuff. So I knew a lot more about it and that was kind of my plan. And then <clears throat> just kind of on a whim, I, uh, I took an interview, uh, before I graduated and ended up getting a job. So then I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. so that, that was, uh, you know, a short six or seven years later, uh, I was working, (laughs) (laughs) I was working at a, you know, corporate job. I was doing like a lot of data analysis for like a logistics company. And I moved around a couple of times with that company. And like, I kind of became a little bit of a workaholic and I didn't have, you know, a lot of social outlets, which, you know, talking to my, my peers that I went to school with, they have, all said the same thing like once you start working it's like you know especially going from college to a weird corporate job oh it's so much different yeah it's night and day like polar opposites especially like being in a fraternity and having like this huge social calendar which that pretty much is your entire life totally so I was just kind of like kind of over it and was thinking about what to do and then (laughs) miraculously my company was going through like they announced at the end of I think 2016 that they were going to go through a a three-way merger with two of our competitors oh wow (laughs) yeah so I was like well I'm I'm kind of miserable (laughs) in this like corporate existence so I, I didn't know that I wanted to like go through that mess because I had been a part of like restructuring like Mm -hmm. in the company that I've worked for and you know set up different teams and departments and stuff and I didn't really I wasn't interested in doing more of that Mm -hmm. um and then they kind of came up you know put out like a timeline of like how things were going to progress and and then they were like if you can apply for a job with a new company or you can stay on through, like, the bitter end, so to speak, for the transition, and we'll offer you a severance package. And <laughs> I, I, had no, I, I had no idea, like, what the severance package was going to be, so I immediately was like, all right, well, that's kind of like the universe giving me another chance to, to go do this hike. So I started saving my money because I didn't know how much the severance was going to be. Mm. You know, started cutting expenses and started doing all the the same research that I had done almost a decade before. So um, That's crazy. Yeah, then 
and I had to talk to like the vice president of my department to actually leave like a month early and still get the, the oh gosh yeah <laughs> which he was actually really cool with it he was like yeah I mean it's, it's a month and you're not going to do much in that month here anyway so nice. he, he was cool enough to let me go because he was actually pretty excited about the the trip for me nice. so that's kind of that's kind of how it all unfolded what was it like doing all that research again like how much did I mean gears changed a lot in 10 years yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I so it, it ended up being like exactly 10 years because I graduated what, in like 2008 or 2009. Um, <clears throat> so in that 10 years, like I remember like the big rage was like, you know, Nalgene bottles were, were like <laughs> the water carry. And like they were, not that they were new, but they were like, you know, they weren't canteens. You yeah. Know? Like cam- camelbacks were just kind of like, ingrating themselves in hiking and mm. you know getting getting your pack made of uh you know recycled you know polyester and nylon was like popular and like ultralight stuff like go light was a company that was around mm. and they were they were the only like main company making ultralight gear so then fast forward to 10 years and there's like all this you know cuban fiber and dyneema and so poly and <laughs> cottage companies and <laughs> yeah like stuff being handmade oh yeah so <clears throat> doing the gear research was cool youtube was definitely like probably my primary source like i became obsessed with oh, watching yeah. people's youtube channels <laughs> the youtube hole <laughs> yeah always yeah wow that's so, amazing yeah yeah it's pretty cool and I kept meaning to talk to my friend who, who used to, uh, Josh Saint, who used to own the hiker hostel, but like our schedules never like lined up, but it was cool because he's pretty good friends with the uh, old man who runs the AT Lodge in Millinocket. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was on his way up to Maine to hang out with him for the summer and he stopped when I was in, wherever the human nature hostel is, I forget the town. But he actually stopped and took me out to breakfast. And oh, near like Rangeley and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. That's awesome. So, that was pretty cool. It was really funny because he said uh, like one thing when we were at breakfast. He was like, you know, people have these like you know this expectation that like you're gonna you're gonna set off on the trail and it's gonna be this huge life changing adventure and it can be. But if you're an asshole before you leave for the trail, you're gonna be an asshole when you're done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you're not ready for the, if you're not going to put in the work for the change, you're not going to change. Yeah. I learned so. that very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like very negative before I left and like very, I can't, I can't, I can't. And as soon as you eliminate can't and stop complaining, like just those two small things will like literally just change your life. Yeah, I think, like, for me, it was it was a little different, because from the first day to the very last day, I probably complained the whole time. Like, the, <laughs> my, my hiking partner, like, I ended up meeting him, his friend's ghost, uh, I met him in the parking lot at Katahdin, and, you know, just said, hey, thought I'd never see him again. Then yeah. I went to him a couple days later, uh, and, you know, we said hi. And then a couple of days after that, ran into him again. And so roughly, like, 
after a week, we pretty much hiked every day together until the end. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It it was just this running joke where I would talk, I would like threaten to quit every day. (laughs) (sighs) Where, so you're from Georgia? Yeah, yeah, I grew up in Atlanta. So you, how did you get to Katahdin? Uh, I took a flight up to Bangor, Maine, Mm -hmm. and then there's a bus you can take out to, uh, like a gas station somewhere, and then the (laughs) AT Lodge, like if if you have a reservation with them, they'll pick you up and and bring you back to Millinocket. Oh, cool. So, yeah, it was was really, really smooth, although it was strange because like no one at the airport knew where the bus station was. So I ended up like walking all over Bangor for a couple of hours and thank God I, I wasn't planning on taking like, you know, the last bus. Yeah, for real. Buses in Maine, I like, I grew up there and the people who take buses in Maine are like just not from there. Like we don't, everybody has a car in Maine. If you don't have a car, like you're not leaving your house. <laughs> like there's the only place where there's like public transportation reliable enough would be like Portland. So yeah you're the only one taking the bus (laughs) it's a weird place i'm from atlanta so like everyone has a car we have marta which is like a a transit system like a train but it doesn't go very many places yeah yeah so my my limited experience I, i lived in new jersey for work for like seven months and it was in jersey city mm. so i would always go hang out in manhattan yeah that's and like so the I, public I transport used to like subway yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah wow so what was your like what was your first day like did you just you just did katahdin and then how far did how how do you even how far do you even go southbound so most people just do katahdin because it ends up being like a like what like a 13 mile day or something yeah oh, yeah but, it's a long day um and just starting out like <clears throat> first off i had no business like doing the trail or going southbound like <laughs> there was a there was a dude that was like i think it was like his third or fourth through hike on the at and he ran into me like the first day of the 100 mile wilderness and i was like hey remember we met on katahdin i didn't think you were gonna make it and i was like oh <laughs> oh man they, they say like the average is something like eight to 12 hours to do Katahdin up and down if you do the I think it's the hunt trail that's the actual AT trail yeah yeah so I uh I think I did it in like 13 and a half or 14 hours I finished (laughs) like with my headlight on or my headlamp like I had a you know one of the reserved camp spots for the night Mm -hmm. everyone was asleep and I'm just like dehydrated (laughs) The wa- like I didn't carry enough water capacity and like the streams weren't like really flowing. A couple of water sources were dried up, like especially above treeline. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I mean, people like I went to school in North Georgia in Dahlonega, the university that's there. Mm-hmm. So like I'm very familiar with Amicola Falls and the approach trail mm-hmm. and everyone like you know, northbounders always say like, "Oh, that you know, that's such an ass kicker for the first day." And I'm like, <laughs> it's so not though compared to Katahdin. Like, <laughs> like, for, like I, I don't have a history of like being a fit person to begin with, and like 
in total, the year leading up to my hike, I maybe went to the gym five times. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> so that was a real rough, like, rude awakening. So the whole way through the 100-mile wilderness, I was just like, what am I doing with my life? Like, this yeah. was a dumb decision. Oh, no. What did you, like, in your tent at night after you did Katahdin, like, what were you thinking? I, I didn't think anything. Like, I, I tried to eat something, but... You just, you know, like, cooked. Like, yeah, I just cooked. Dead. So I just, like, <laughs> went, went almost straight to bed. I mean, I actually had a friend go up there with me to just do Katahdin and then, like, that day getting to Abel Bridge. Mm-hmm. And he's a super fit dude. Like, he does, like, triathlons and, you know, cycles all the time. And he's just, he's kind of a badass. And he was just looking at me like, you got this, dude. It's it's going to be okay. And I was like, uh, I don't think so, man. <laughs> I will say, I think, like, even after my whole through hike the day I did Katahdin, I was terrified of Katahdin. Like, even after everything else, still, I still was scared. Even on Katahdin, it was like, whew, yeah, it's it's real rock climbing. It's not, it's not a joke. Yeah, and I had try to, you know, Google, like, just pictures just to get, like, a mental idea of, like, what I was getting myself into. (laughs) And there's not a single picture or video of people doing Katahdin that I've seen that does it justice. Because it is so gnarly. And my friend that went up there with me, he's an experienced rock climber. And he was like, yeah, this really isn't hiking. Like, (laughs) this is, like, junior mountaineering. Yeah, it's, like, right in the middle of hiking and climbing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you made it through the 100 mile wilderness. And then what did you stay at Shaw's? Uh, yeah, stayed at Shaw's. Uh, that last, I think, 12 or 15 miles coming out of the 100 mile, we were going to stop at that last shelter before you get out. And the sort of trail family that, uh, that I developed through the 100 mile wilderness, they were all like way ahead of me. So it was like me and one other guy. And we were trying to get done because the storm was coming in. So we basically, me and uh, Hashinator just like trail ran like the last six miles <laughs> to try and beat the storm and get there like to the road in enough time for for Hippie Chick to come pick us up. Wow, wow. So yeah. did, how was like, I guess, so you had all the hard parts first. So you had the whites like right after all i mean you have the the middle part of maine but that's not easy either what did you think about mahusik notch honestly like it's you know has the reputation of being the hardest mile on the at and i wholeheartedly disagree with that <laughs> i think i think coming down the wildcats are far worse oh i would definitely rather go up the wildcats than down like southbounding that would suck yeah we did it in like the pissing rain like it was flooded like that bridge that that little footbridge that you come out like right at the end Mm -hmm. where there's all those boulders that bridge was washed out because there's so much rain oh man wow when did you like what was your timing was that that was like july when did you leave? Uh, I think for the whole state of May. I, so I summoned Katahdin on June 17th. Okay. And it took us, I think, like maybe 30, 
30 to 33 days to get out of Maine. Oh, wow. It's amazing <clears throat> how it's the same trail, but somehow it's like, it's just so much different going southbound because you have all of that, like all the gradual buildup you get going northbound is just not there. <laughs> yeah, like it, it is it is a trial by fire for sure. Yeah, you're just like thrown in the deep end. Yeah. (laughs) One comforting thing, though, was like running into all the Nobos uh, or the early Nobos coming through Maine when we were uh, like out of the 100 mile wilderness and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they were saying like, yeah, like our pace was like, you know, 25, 30 miles a day. And now we're doing like 10 or 15. And by that point, I was going from like 7 to 10 to 10 to 15. So we were moving at virtually like the same pace. So that was kind of comforting. Yeah. Knowing that it, like, it, it wasn't just me. It was the terrain. Plus, like, most unexperienced Nobos in the beginning are only doing, like, 8 to 10 miles a day anyway. Even in yeah. Georgia, where it's, like, not that hard. Yeah. Wow. So you got a tramley. Did you guys stay together for a long time? Uh, so me and Ghost and Hashinator, and Ghost is, like, a, a guy that just graduated college, he was, like, 24, and then Hashinator is a dude, like, in his mid-50s. We stuck together through New Hampshire. The rest of our trail family, through the 100 mile, was always, like, a week ahead of us. <laughs> but it was, it was awesome, because by the time we got to Franklin, uh... Two of the other uh, of our trail family, uh, Sweet and Scraps, they uh, they had to miss a section because of an ice storm, and they were going to get to Springer like the next day, so they actually drove back up to Franklin to do that section that they missed. It was only like 10 miles. Um, <clears throat> so we got to see them like right before we finished, like our last little push to Springer. So that was like a really cool moment. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember... Actually, the day I met you, I was walking that morning with this guy that the last time I'd seen him was in Franklin. So it was like the opposite. But he saw me from behind. I had cut off all my hair since the last time I'd seen him. And he saw me from behind and was like, is that life alert? And I turned around and I saw this guy and I thought, oh my God, I thought this guy would never make it. He was, uh, he was like older and... He was just always, like, the first one in bed and the quietest one of the group, but he was always looking out for everybody. And it was just so amazing to see each other because we both thought that the other one had gotten off trail. Like, people had told us that, like, someone told me the turbo got off trail. Someone told him that I had gotten off trail. And then we ran into each other and we were like, neither of us failed. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, I love that the, like, you end up leapfrogging or catching up with people every time. It's crazy. Yeah, and we we had sort of caught up to him at various different times because, like, I had to get off trail for 10 days to go to a wedding in Chicago. Classic. And uh, Scraps had to get off trail for, I think, like, 10 days, maybe a little bit more, to go to his sister's wedding. Mm. Also in Chicago, I think, or somewhere out in the Midwest. And (laughs) so we caught back up with each other in New York. Nice. So that was constantly you're like running into people that you you were hiking with hundreds of miles ago yeah i love just turning the corner and seeing something that someone that you haven't seen in a long time like that's the best feeling (laughs) that's awesome i feel like instagram also 
I followed so many people on Instagram that I've been hiking with that you end up seeing like, oh, so-and-so's here. We're going to catch him tomorrow. And then you get to surprise them. And it's so exciting. That's really fun, too. There is a well, Sobos are a little different because we're a little bit more spread out and there's a lot fewer of us. Yeah. So, and when we first met or would meet people, like no one was like exchanging like Instagrams or Facebook or oh, yeah, phone numbers. Oh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> so, it wasn't until you like ran into someone like you know a month later that you were like, oh, dude, I have to get your, your Instagram now. Yeah, it's like I'm, I may never see you again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. What are the chances to run into someone five different times? <laughs> what do you think the most Nobos you passed in one day was? Uh, I remember, so it was definitely the Horde. Oh, you passed, of course you passed them. Wow. Yeah, they're huge. Um, yeah, so I, like, I ran into half of them at a shelter, and then like the other half of them at, a, at the human nature hostel. Mm. It amazes so, me how long those guys stayed together. But it was even funnier to like be a, a sobo and be relatively new into your through hike, and you just hear them talk about like all the drama. <laughs> and it's like, because you gotta think it's the end of their hike, so like you know, no one's like. It's like there's no sense stop being nice and the, the the real world gets real. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no like Yeah, I had to rebuild my filter when I came home. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. So by the time you got to Virginia, were you like running? I mean, it, by the time we got to Virginia, the the weather was starting to get really cold like Oh, I didn't even Shen- think of that. Yeah, the Shenandoahs were pretty cold. We got like not snow, but just, like, a light dusting of, like, sort of frost and snow in the mornings. Mm. And, yeah, Virginia was, like, like, is where I was probably at my best in terms of, like, hiking, where we'd be like, well, we could do, like, 15 tomorrow, or we could just do, like, 25 to this shelter, and that would set us up to, like, getting to this all-you-could-eat buffet, because they're closed on Sundays, and it's like, <laughs> okay, like, let's do 25. Yeah. Wow. So, that was, that's a really good feeling that I thought, like, when I first started, I would never get to that point. Oh, like, it's, totally. It yeah. seems so unattainable that I would, like, hike the equivalent, you know, mileage more than a marathon. Oh, yeah. And, like, be, o- be okay with it. Be happy with it. Yeah. Yeah, I finished. So, <clears throat> crazy story. And when we got to, my parents, like, live in the Whites. And when we got there, I told my mom that, like, I wanted to come home and see my cat and stuff. So she took me home. And then she offered to slack pack me and my hiking partner in the Whites. And I was like, Mom, these stretches are so long. Like, I really don't even think it's possible. Because, like, from one notch to the other to go over Mount Washington, the only way to do it, unless you're going to take the auto road down, is 27 miles. Like, that is your only choice. And I did not think we could do it. But my mom was like, let's just at least try a few. Like, if you do the Kinsmans, it's only 16. Just try it. Just try it. So we did. And then we did, like, 22 the next day. And we are like, all right, we're ready. We're going to do it. And we did 27 over Mount Washington and like before I left I mean I've hiked I'll put it this way I've hiked Mount Washington at least 15 times like between school and just doing it for fun because we live there and never in my life 
would I think that I could do more than a marathon over that mountain? Like, never. It's insane. And happily, I got to the end and I was like, yeah, I guess I could keep going. I don't really know. Like, you break that wall and there's just no limit. And I had no idea (laughs) that you get to a point in your mind where there was like, there's no limit. My legs are numb. Let's just do it. You know? Yeah, like, the only limitation towards the end of my hike was how much daylight there was. Because that really threw us through a loop because we were doing these big mileage days. And then, you know, right around daylight savings, oh, yeah. we had adjust the clocks. And then we had, like, less daylight because we couldn't wake up before the sun anymore because it was, like, too early. Mm-hmm. And I was never, like, an early riser, like, not even in the slightest. So just <laughs> not... Not having enough time to hike in the day because hiking with a headlamp is just like a different animal altogether. Oh, yeah. I did not not like night hiking at all. Like, I didn't mind night hiking when there's not like two feet of snow and freezing rain. Yeah. Like, if it's the summer, night hiking is not terrible. But when you're post-holing and night hiking, like, that's the most miserable experience. Oh, yeah. Totally. Plus, in the south like any rain just turns into fog and i like i literally got lost in february in georgia (laughs) on the at like i just we got to there's this forest road and you just can't see all the way across it i have no idea where the next blaze is so i was like all right i guess i'll just pitch my tent here and take a nap like i don't know what else to it's too dark it's not gonna get light for two hours you know well so (laughs) When the, when the snow is sitting on the tree and you're not sure if it's snow or uh, a white blaze. Yeah. Like, and plus, going a, a southbound direction, some sections, they're, they're extremely well blazed coming the other direction. So you're constantly having to, like, look behind you to see oh. if there's a blaze and you're on the trail. Honestly, they should just give some southbounder who's willing to carry it some paint. And <laughs> figure that out. That's crazy. Where, what are, which sections? Like, do you remember one specifically where you, like, got lost or something? I remember, like, in New York, we got lost probably the most. And I, and I, there's, and then it was just sort of sporadic because I guess everything's maintained by, like, local trail clubs. Yeah, it's all regional. Yeah, so some were better than others. So it would just normally be, like, there'd be, like, a day. So we'll say, like, 20 to 25 miles of trail that it was, like, only blazed in one direction. Oh, my God. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I mean, I would think, like, if a, if a trail crew is out there, they would do it both ways because, like, a section hiker or, a, you know, someone that's just there for the weekend on the AT, Yeah, there's probably more of a, a mixture of people doing it northbound and southbound. Yeah. I think also, like, I don't know, when you paint a blaze, you should just paint both sides of the tree. Yeah. Like, if you're painting that tree, just paint the other side. <laughs> Logic. <laughs> interesting, interesting. What do you think your... Do you have, like, a favorite section of the trail? Um, like, all of Maine was... Especially the 100-mile wilderness was, like, just beautiful. Like, with lakes everywhere and, like, trees and moss and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the cliche answer is, like, the whites, like, they have the best views and stuff. Yeah, it's and, the postcard. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's pretty true. But I think, actually, kind of south of McAfee's Knob, 
there's like a great mixture of types of trail where it's like, you know, like the single track just sort of like leisurely in the woods. And then there's, mm-hmm. you know, some rocks and stuff where you can kind of, you know, a little bit more technical hiking. So there's just like a good mixture of everything. Mm. I think like, I don't know if it was because my mood and my physicality was so great on these days. I think also the trail was amazing, but like right around Devil's Backbone, Three Ridges was one of my favorites because you get the challenge, but there's also just like some butter trail through there. And then you get to end at Devil's Backbone and it's like, you know, you're just going to have a great night anyway. (laughs) So so me me and my my hiking partner, Ghost, we ran into a couple of the Sobos right in that area and we opted to not go to Devil's Backbone Brewery. Oh, man. And then we caught up with with them later, like a couple days later, and they're like, "Dad, breakfast was so good. We had so much fun." Great. They gave you a three course hiker breakfast, man. Like cereal, eggs, bacon, potatoes, coffee, like whole deal. It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. If I if I had a regret, I think not doing something on the trail it was not going to double the backbone yeah that place was like an oasis especially because we got there and it was really hot and then it rained so it broke up all the humidity and we walked into like you know when right after it rains everything's like shimmering and the sun's coming out (laughs) it just felt so much more like oasis-y even though it was you know yeah I don't know probably just a normal day but Oh, man, I was so thirsty by the time I got there because I was, like, not going to waste time to stop for water. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. So did you go to Mountain Harbor? Mountain Harbor? Yeah. In Tennessee? I I don't think so. Oh, man. Apparently they have the best breakfast on trail and I missed it. So that was my one, like, place I I regret missing. I, I guess one of the things I learned about myself, like, I'm a very, like, cynical person (laughs) and there are at least 45 greatest breakfasts on trail (laughs) probably true i think a lot of that is hiker hunger though yeah i mean (laughs) when i think back on it like are there too many like restaurants or eateries that i would like go out of my way to go eat at not really but there's a lot of good food on the trail there is yeah there is so how do you think the trail changed you, like, mentally? Uh, it's such, I'm still trying to figure that out because <laughs> I think, like, my, my outlook on life is, is kind of the exact opposite of what I wanted. Like, I wanted to be, like, come back and, like, invigorated and, you know, do all this other stuff, but... I'm just, like, I don't see the point in a lot of stuff. Like, when I see people get into, like, arguments about politics on social media or, like, I hear a conversation, like, at a bar or something, I'm just like, what? Why? Why Why? are you wasting energy on that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So being back in society is just kind of a bummer because it's like none of these things are important like important is having food and shelter and clean water yeah and it's like why is everything so much more nuanced than it needs to be yeah yeah that's a very good way of putting it yeah i understand there are things that are important like if you have a society it needs to be run in a productive way but it it consumes so much of people who aren't actually participating in the solutions to the problem. Yes. I also wonder how much, like, 
social media has contributed like if we didn't have social media it wouldn't be like this it wouldn't there's no possible way it could be well i think i think people in general have always been this way but i think you're right like social media allows people to communicate at a much more rapid pace yeah and and that's like compounding a problem that we've always had yeah i think like it also allows politics to be like way more pervasive and take up more i guess time and like attention because you're constantly looking at your phone you're constantly checking a lot of people are most people in america are like constantly checking it it's insane well it's weird because like i'm i coming back from the trail i sort of just continued watching youtube videos but not necessarily just about hiking Mm -hmm. like there are a lot of people that do like really good like, video essays on topics and stuff like that, like, ranging from, you know, technology to philosophy to, like, literary reviews and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But the number of, like, reviews for apps to tell you that you've been staring at your phone too long and which app is the best to tell you to not look at your phone, like, that's (laughs) really scary. It is. It's insane. I never saw it coming to be honest like I did not because we grew up I mean I guess I don't know how old are you uh I turned 33 on the trail okay so you're like 10 years old like yeah yeah I'm like the very beginning of the millennial generation yeah depending on how you mark the start it's yeah and like so many I mean I guess if you think like everyone who is 30 and under now is like a a quote-unquote digital native like all of these people had very limited time without cell phones and wi-fi and that is like just a totally like that is a societal shift literally the whole thing has just shifted to a different place that's insane yeah yeah it's it's a very strange time to like be an adult you know? Yeah. Especially if you have, like, memories, like, myself and, and, you know, people, like, my friends that are just a few years older than me, like, to have very distinct memories of, like, when you got the internet. Yeah. And then I go hang out, like, with my cousins who are, you know, six or seven years younger than me, and they just, they've never not had the internet, and, you know, they got cell phones in, like, middle school. Yeah. And there's so many things that, like, are, I don't know, I guess our generation was, like, the plastic generation, right? And so there's just certain things that were just, like, acceptable to do with plastic and things like that. And now that we realize that it's not so great, and now we're the ones who have to turn it around even though, you know? And But there's certain things, like, that we used to have, I guess, like, plastic toys and shrinky dinks and things like that that just, like, don't even really exist in the same way anymore because it's just like you can't sell a toy like that (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah Uh, packaging is such a weird thing (sighs) such a problem (laughs) i I, I watched that documentary with with my girlfriend last year on like the the problem with all the trash like in the in the ocean Mm -hmm. and the big like floating island of trash and i was like that's just disgusting it's insane to me that like the amount of people i know that have seen that documentary that i still like 
watch throw something in the trash. Like, like it didn't, they saw it and they were like, that's gross and that's not okay. But then they just like throw a plastic bottle in the trash can like nothing ever happened. <laughs> well, so, so one of the really interesting things about kind of traveling down the entire, you know, East Coast and hopping into these towns is like how differently each state or region treats recycling. Oh my God, because... the styrofoam in Tennessee, dude. So oh, it's, much it's styrofoam. In, it's in Georgia too. Like it's it's like it's a very southern thing. Like we don't recycle. Mm-hmm. Everyone uses like paper plates in their home, and yeah. I don't know. And it's one of those things. Like like any apartment that I've lived in in Atlanta like doesn't have like a re- like recycling that you can take to. So you have to literally drive like twenty or thirty minutes to go to a recycling center. Yeah, and any. Literally any parent in the world does not want to do that. Does not have time and isn't going to do that. So there goes like 50% of the population's recycling right there. I really think that – so I've been living with um, like an extended family member and she does composting with worms in these like bags inside her house. Really? Yeah. And I was like, what? Inside composting? Are you sure? And she showed me it. And there is like YouTubes on YouTube on YouTube videos about this. Like crazy amounts of people are doing this. And it's like cardboard, any food scraps that aren't animal based and like, I don't even know, paper towels, things like that. And the amount, so we used to put out three of us are living here we would probably put out at least two trash bags a day based on all of us living here eating like everything food scraps all of that like when you peel a leaf off the outside of the cabbage because it's kind of gross that goes in the trash all of that kind of stuff and when we started composting it's down to like half a bag a day it's insane how much like how much it cuts down and if you think about it so like like landfills when you put something in a landfill they seal it from air and light and everything right so even though the straws at your local coffee shop might be compostable or even though you are putting food scraps in there that could biodegrade because it's sealed it never will oh yeah yeah and i don't think that people realize that like people still get straws at like quote unquote compostable straws at coffee shops, which is like a nice thing to offer. I appreciate it, but it's never actually going to get composted if you just throw it in the trash. Yeah, there there's actually a few I guess more trendier restaurants in Atlanta that have started using the like the like paper straws, mm-hmm. and it's like a very weird mouth sensation. But it I was is. like, I was like, it works, it works, and I'm only going to use this for this one drink. But then there's nowhere to put it. You're throwing it in the trash. So like you said, like, what is it really helping? Not like, not, and honestly, like using paper that's tree based instead of a plastic isn't actually really better. Like the only, I mean, it needs to be like a renewable resource, like hemp or corn or bamboo or whatever, you know? And I, I honestly, like, I never knew all of these details before I started hiking because I never knew how much, like, I was never attached enough to the planet, I guess, to decide, like, I conscientiously don't want to be contributing to this problem. I want to be able to experience these places in the future. Yeah, 
it's it's tough because it's almost the same thing with like being environmentally conscious as like trying to eat healthy. Mm-hmm. There's so much information out there, and you realize that like your education, like even if you went to like a really great you know private school or a really great like public school or or magnet school, like those are the kind of things that just aren't on the curriculum anywhere. Totally. And when you be, when you become an adult and you're trying to make these decisions and you kind of you know I'd like to eat better. And I'd like to take care of the environment. Mm-hmm. And then you go on the internet, and it's just like everyone yelling at each other Ugh, about like, yeah, well, this is misinformation, and that's not exactly true, and this causes cancer, and it's like so overwhelming to try and like have a more conscientious life that it's like it's so tough. Totally, totally. I also think that like convenience, no matter what, will rule America until its death, oh, yeah. like forever. Because why would you do something that is less convenient or more? Like, I want to eat better. I promise I do. But my wallet is not going to buy me all organic vegetables. Like, it's just not. It's impossible. Like, rent or good food? What are you going to do? Or, like, if I work a 13-hour day, am I going to buy fast food or am I going to go home and make dinner? Right. Or, you know, parents who can't afford it, things like that. It's just insane... Yeah, yeah. And again, like, nuanced. Ridiculously nuanced. Everything. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, that's that's the one thing I miss about the trail is, like, that very simplistic life. It was like, clean. Like, yeah. my brain just felt cleaner. Like, my body could relax. You scrape away all that, like, gunk. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So what are you doing now with your life? I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. Like, <clears throat> I can't... There's a really weird end to my hike where, like, the weather was so bad. Like, one of, one of the guys that I hiked with, like, Hashinator, he was a few days behind us. Ended up getting, like, frostbite and had to get off trail. Like, it, when we were sort of towards the end of Virginia. And then the weather just kept getting, like, colder. So... It was just a very, like, discombobulated, like, not the way you wanted a hike to end, because we were, like, we were basically hiking to roads to get to, like, hotels or hostels, because Mm. we didn't have, you know, like, true winter gear. Like, we were all set up for three-season hiking. Yeah. And, and, And I live in the South, and it was a very early, like, winter, like... It normally, you might have a couple of days sporadically where you'll have, like, bad weather, but this was, like, you know, three or four weeks in a row of, like, a bad winter storm. Plus, you're at elevation, too. That does not help. Yeah, like, when we were going, like, over Rhone, and we got into, uh, I think, it was just before Rhone, actually, and we stayed at Kinkora with Bob Peoples, Mm -hmm. and he was like, he was like, yeah, I wouldn't recommend you guys go out and sleep outside tomorrow night. So why don't you just stay here another day and I'll, like, slack pack you. And we were like, thanks. That's like, amazing. That. And it got down to, like, with the wind chill, like, negative 13 or something. Ooh, yeah, totally. I had <clears> – I started very unprepared despite how heavy my backpack was. And I just remember my whole first week I was just frozen solid and – I got, there was one night at Sassafras Gap, 
in uh, North Carolina. It was, like, after NOC. And I just did not have the right gear. And I slept in a trash bag that night inside my sleeping bag because there was – I just had no – like, I had no idea what else to do. And I was, like, 16 miles in either direction from warmth. And it was, you know, nighttime. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll just – <laughs> stay up all night in this trash bag um but yeah i totally feel you there the i learned my lesson about winter gear real freaking fast like never yeah. again and now i'm saving up for a zero degree sleeping bag because i know that like even if it's 40 degrees i'm just i would just rather be warm and stick a leg out <laughs> yeah totally as a result of like all that shitty weather like as soon as i got home I just wanted to, like, be warm and not outside. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And I just stayed on the couch, and then that kind of just turned into... And I, like, I had some... My dad has some health issues, so I was kind of helping him out, take him to doctor's appointments and stuff. Mm. And that just kind of spiraled into me, like, I don't know what I want to do, and so I'm still trying to figure that out. It's kind of scary and great all at once to have that, like, blank slate. Yeah, like, I can do anything... But, like, what do I want to do? Like, what do I – and I guess, like, one of the things that that I took away from the hike is, like, how do I want to invest my time? Like, yes. do I, do I want to go back to a job that was not fulfilling but, like, very comfortable in terms of, like, having a paycheck and benefits and health insurance and all that stuff and just be, like – go get back into that rut of being like woefully unfulfilled and just kind of like a curmudgeon or do I want to pursue something that I'm passionate about and like you know maybe it turns into something or maybe I'm just you know going to be broke for for (laughs) the rest of my life yeah oh my gosh when I was on trail I decided I when I get home I'm treating my time like currency like is this a waste of my time stop doing it you wouldn't waste your money why would you waste your time and yeah. I had worked at Starbucks before I left for trail. Um, it was kind of like my, to me, it was a low point. Like it was not something I ever expected myself to be doing. I thought I was going to be working in politics forever and whatever, whatever. And <clears throat> when the Hillary Clinton campaign ended, I was like, fuck politics. Like I'm out. There's nothing about this that is worth my time or energy anymore. And I'm so depressed. And then I went and worked at Starbucks <laughs> and in some <laughs> random law offices as an underpaid law clerk. And then by the time I got home from trail, I was like, what am I doing in a Starbucks right now? What am I doing? Like, this is this is not how I want to be spending my time. So I yeah. decided that I was going to, like, find a way to not have to be in a certain place at a certain time for someone else unless I wanted to be there. And I started freelancing, and that's how it sort of, like, that's, like, what it came to was that was the job that I figured I can do this anywhere, I can do this on my time, I can do what I want for the most part, and I've been making enough money so far, so. (laughs) But I'm no means ever going to be rich, but. Yeah, I... I, I thought, because I saw your, your post when you were talking about freelancing, and I, I read your blog about it, and that I think that's something that I'm going to, like, sit down and and do, like, now that, because my girlfriend also just bought a house, so we've been, like, moving for the last month. Oh, yeah. So, like, 
so I feel like I just haven't had any time to actually sit down and like focus on what I'm going to do next. Yeah. So that's something I want to look into. I was, I joked almost the entire trail that I was going to write a book to dissuade people from hiking the AT. <laughs> just, just to help with the environment. And, <laughs> and really like objectively speaking, like it's, it's kind of a dumb thing that we did. Like it's, Oh yeah. It's, like it's the, crazy. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I thought about I I really want to write a book, but I also I don't I don't want to just put out a book, you know? I want it to be yeah. like worth something. I don't want it to just be like I hiked here and I ate this and we went here. It's like these are my emotions. This is what I went through. I'm, you know, it's not just bullshit agendas and trail journals. <laughs> yeah, like so I, I like I was doing some research to like see how viable like a, a book on the AT was, and I like I read like three or four before going on the trail. Yeah, and they're all like how-to manuals or like th- yeah, like really specific. This is what I did on a daily basis, like trail journal stuff, or you know, Grandma Gateway. <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> There's nothing that that I've read so far that really kind of, like, captures what it's like to be on trail and, like, what it means without being a little boring. Yeah. You know? I feel like people just didn't – not that – I mean, I don't know. I would have dug deeper if I was going to bother to put out a book personally. The yeah. only book that I felt was of value to me before the trail that I read was Appalachian Trials. But even that, was, it's not like a memoir, you know? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Like, some of the, the, like, mental aspect of it that's in that book is, like, very helpful for if you're going to hike the trail. Yeah. And it was actually, like, it, my girlfriend read, I think, like, half the book uh, because she wanted to, like, just kind of know what to expect mm. uh, from me. And she she said that it was kind of insightful. So she was kind of prepared for, like, when I would call and text and just be, like, ready to come home. Yeah. What was it like, like, having a girlfriend back at home, like, having that time and distance from each other? Um, it was, it was one of the harder things that I've done because it's – so when we actually, like, first started dating – Around, we used to work together at the same company. Oh. So around the time we first started dating was like when the news dropped that we were going through a merger and I talked about doing the AT. And I think she was, she even told me she was a little upset at first because I was like, well, what about like us? Mm. And I was like, well, we just started dating. So I can't like put all my eggs in one basket, so to speak. Mm. Um, but we ended up like before I left for the trail because I was talking about like saving money and stuff. Her lease was up, and I had, like, a one-bedroom apartment, so she moved in, and I could save, you know, half of my rent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, so we're still together, so it all worked out, but, and I, I don't think, like, I guess I always thought that I had, like, serious relationships, but <clears throat> I can, like, hands down say that if it was, like, anyone else or anyone else that I dated in the past, we would not have lasted mm-hmm. through the hike, because it was really tough, like, just, like, being being a part like as much fun and as much freedom as there is on the trail like you kind of feel like there's a piece of you like missing Mm -hmm. like for for the good days 
I wanted her to be there with me and enjoy it with me. And then for the bad days, I just wanted like to hug her and she's, you know, thousands of miles away. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> so I had mean... never experienced like that kind of emotion, you know, when it comes to another person, you know, mm-hmm. but she was, she was really supportive. Like my plan was to leave my dog with my parents cause they live like an hour south of the city. And she was like, I'll watch him because she got pretty close to him when we were living together. So wow. that was like she really stepped up in a big way because she's never really had a dog before. Mm. And and he's a he's a pit mixed with a French bulldog. So he's like really stubborn. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. Wow. And she, like, for for Hiker Thanksgiving, she drove up to Hot Springs and got an Airbnb, so we got to hang out. She brought my dog, so my dog was chilling with all these dirty hikers getting the Thanksgiving scraps. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. Wow, dude, that's awesome. I feel like you have a very different... I haven't really interviewed a Sobo yet. Like, I think you're my first. I've done a flip-flopper, but not a Sobo. So, it's definitely, it's cool to hear the other side, the other perspective. I I mean, it's such a different experience, I think, going Sobo than going Nobo. And it's just from, like, talking to Northbounders or, like, because almost everything that you read is Northbound-oriented. Yeah. So, your expectations are completely different. Yeah. And and like you said, like, you're starting off with, like, Maine, New Hampshire up front, so even the physicality is so different. Yeah. And then when you get towards the end of your hike, it's, you know, all the, most of these hostels and a lot of the churches that, that you know, let you crash at, at, like, a building or, like, bring you food to the trail, like, a lot of the trail angels that do, like, the hiker feeds, like, that's all done. Yeah. You know? That's true. <laughs> like, you, so you really like, and and not to say that there weren't uh, trail angels or people that helped us along the way, because they're like it, it's really like restores your faith in humanity how much people are like willing and want to help you through your journey. Yeah, but but it's just a little, it's a little different when you're talking to a nobo and you hear about like all the like the free stuff and and like the cool things that happened and you know when you come around people are like aren't you aren't you hiking a little late yeah it like hurts a little huh yeah and and no one should ever hike no one should ever attempt a through hike with the expectation of trail magic no like i think that's disingenuine and that's you know but yeah you do throughout various periods you do kind of feel like you're somehow less than for being sobo mm-hmm yeah, uh, and and with all the community, like the vast number of of northbounders that you know meet each other and form you know different trail families and and have these different experiences, and you just have you don't have as much of that. You kind of feel like you're missing out on something. Mm-hmm. But but on the other hand, empty trails, empty shelters, empty privies. Whoop empty privies when you do <laughs> when you do stay at hostels that are still open towards the end of the hike you have more of a like one-on-one with whoever's running the hostel or whoever owns the hostel mm. so you get a little bit more like insight into the 
like that aspect of trail culture. Yeah, for sure. Wow. So it's it just kind of depends on what you're looking for. I'm more of an introvert, and and like chit chat, small talk is like the bane of my existence. <laughs> Agreed. So so I, I kind of liked overall the aspect of a little bit a little bit more of that solitude. Mm. Um, and, and kind of like what, you know, being in nature and not having like the big crowds and even, even not as many like weekenders once you get to sort of like the second half of your hike. Mm. Yeah. Just cause the weather sucks. Totally. Gosh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I experienced winter too, but it was like, you know, spring is at the end, so you'll suck it up. And yeah. It, I mean, in the South, I mean, I guess, yeah, you were in the South, too. It's just, like, there's so many more towns that it was fine to experience it there. I'm glad I didn't experience it on the tail end. That's the other thing about going Sobo. When you guys start, you have so many less towns. Yeah. Like, there are no walk-through towns in Maine. Maine? But you're, you're giving up something, I think, like, no matter which direction you go. Mm. And I think having having that kind of experience up front was very helpful because you know you sort of get used to being on the trail and every town that you get to is very special because they're not as frequent Mm -hmm. so you just kind of like you kind of drink in the experience and the different aspects of each community yeah i i I mean i haven't done it the other way so I, i can't imagine but (laughs) <laughs> that, that's just kind of how I rationalized that going south was the right choice. Yeah, there's definitely some towns in the beginning that I just, like, don't really remember or care about at all. Yeah. I don't have an attachment to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, this was really, really good, dude. Thank you so much. No um, problem. You know, fate has it. You meet at a water source. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a, I lo- the one reason I love the internet. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so it's so amazing that that a, a chance meeting at a water source could turn into a, a podcast a few months later. Right, and at that time too, like when we met, I <clears throat> the seed had just been planted. That was like the day that we went over Musilaki was the day. Well, Musilak, whatever depends on what region you're from. The day we went over <laughs> that was the day that I talked to Blackbird, another Novo, and I was like, you know, Blackbird, I've always wanted to have my own podcast. And she was like, well, why don't you have your own podcast? And I was like, oh, I don't know how to make a podcast. And she was like, well, you just Google it. And never in my life did I think to just Google how to make a podcast. Because I was like, you know, I was still in the camp mindset for a long time. And then when I realized I could just do it, I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to do it. So that was like the timing too. I met you, and then it was like a couple weeks later. I was starting a podcast. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Well, I I had a great great chat. (laughs) Thank you so much.